I'm Katya. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, everybody. My dog gets really excited when I start talking on Zoom and he may start punching me in the face. It's it's okay. Um, nobody. No, no. Um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, thanks to Pej for asking me to speak. Thanks for Laura for her service. Wayno, you set such a great tone. Luda's freaking out. He's so excited. Um, and thank you, Ginny. Um, buddy, nobody. It's not time. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, in a general way, what I was like, what happened and what I'm like now. Um, oh yeah, and I'll say my sobriety date is September 4th of 2003. So I have 17 and plus years. Uh, you know, I have a home group, I'm sponsored, uh, I'm active in the stuff. I'm still in the middle of AA, man. So when I was new, they like gave me that like herd analogy where they were like, they talked about, you know, um, AA as though it was like, buddy, you gotta stop. I know you're so excited. Um, they talked about AA as though it was like, it was like, we, we were like in the, you know, in the jungle or whatever, like on safari, right? And they were like, you know, this one guy used to always say like, the zebra at the outside of the pack always gets eaten, you know? Um, and it was always just like, stay in the middle of the pack so you don't get eaten. Um, so if I have anything to share experience, strength and hope wise, it's don't get eaten. Um, you know, but so it's like, <laughs> so in a general way, what I was like, what happened and what I'm like now, um, what I was like was truly uncomfortable. Like my earliest memories, right, were playing on the playground in kindergarten, watching the other kids play and like not understanding how they were just, you know, doing it, right? Like not understanding how they just like frolicked with, you know what I mean? They were like, they were just like on the jungle gym, do you know? It was not this like existential crisis. And me, I was in the corner, you know what I mean, going. And, um, and I just watched them being like, how do they just play? And it's funny because I was thinking about this the other day, like I actually have this sometimes, I have this sort of now, right? Like there is a, there is an issue in my life that is eating my lunch because I want, I want something, you know, I want a thing. And, um, and it's, you know, there've been this, this area of my life has been deeply surrendered in the past, right? Like there's a point though, where I have a built-in forgetter, forgetter where suddenly like, I don't remember what surrender is, you know, I don't remember what it's like to trust. Right. And, um, and that's okay because actually like what I've really learned and especially this, this year has been that, you know, What's so much more important than, than me like feeling a sense of surrender is what are my actions doing? You know, that was like a thing that saved me when I was new in general. How I'm feeling is not how I'm doing. How I'm doing is what I'm doing over and over and over again. Um, but so, but sometimes I do, I sit in AA and I, and I hear people and I talk to friends and whatever, and I hear people and they just, they, they talk about the idea of trusting a power greater than themselves with so much ease. And sometimes I am that person, do you know? Uh, and then I want things <laughs> and then I want things and then I forget, you know, and I just, I'm like, how do you do that again? Um, so yeah, I mean, that's like a little current piece. Right. But so whatever. So I was deeply uncomfortable. I was like a, I was just like a tight screw. Do you know what I mean? My thoughts, like, I feel like from an early age, it was like my thoughts vibrated. Do you know what I mean? I was just like, I was good to go. Right. Um, I was like going home, replaying conversations in the shower that I had, you know, earlier that day. Like I was like ready. I just, I was filled with fear. Do you know, I like couldn't show up to school on a regular basis. I was like, before I found alcohol, I was like faking medical conditions into hospitals just to like get a break. You know what I mean? Uh, I was like in an abusive home. It was just, it was gnarly. Right. And, um, and so, and so when I found alcohol, 
oh boy, right? Um, you know, it's it's funny. Like the first time I technically drank, I was like four, and it was Passover, and it was like Manischewitz, and they and and they told me don't do it, so I did it, right? Like, and I don't know if the I don't know if the phenomenon of craving was triggered, right? Like I don't know, you know, what happened. I just know it was sweet. They said no, so I was under the table with it, right? And um and I was caught drinking a few times as a kid, right? Like I remember playing bartender and it it ate, but like I was like you know drinking scotch, like it was like. And I, my family was like, what is, what is happening here? Um, but really like the first time I drank to get drunk, uh, I was hanging out, you know, I hang out with like dirty punk rock boys who hate themselves, beat the crap out of each other, hate me. Uh, also love, we also like really loved each other. Right. Um, you know, yeah, they like, they smelled so bad. You know, I smelled so bad. Right. They like watched animal porn. Right. And there's nothing really that'll make you like go home and put your head on the pillow and feel like a woman of grace and dignity than like hanging out with those gentlemen. Um, and so, you know, who I deeply loved and also like totally saved me. Right. And, um, so whatever, so I'm hanging out with these dudes. Right. And we get, and we get some Jack Daniels. I'm from New York. I grew up in New York. I've lived in New York for most of my life in my sobriety. I moved to Los Angeles two and a half years ago. It's very nice. Uh, it's very warm. Uh, it's terrible to drive here, you know, whatever. It's cool. Um, happy to be here. Uh, but so, you know, so I remember like we, we had this like big bottle of Jack. Right. And I, and I drank my portion. I drank whatever I paid for. Right. And, um, thank you, Pesh. It is, it is especially warm. In the, I'm not in the Valley, but it is especially warm in the Valley. Uh, you know, um, whatever. So I like, I drank my portion. And then I remember looking on the ground and these dudes who I loved, right were like wrestling. They were just like mauling each other and they were having a great time. They were like laughing, you know, ha ah, ha right? And uh, and I looked on the desk and there was alcohol still left on the, there was, there was, there was booze in the bottle. And I was like, how did you, why? It was incomprehensible to me that they were having a good time. We're doing anything but like just, I mean, I drink, I drink for oblivion. I drink to be obliterated. I don't drink to like, I know some people it's like, they're like, and then I was social and I was able, you know, I, my, the turbulence of my insides were suddenly quiet in a way that a, yes, I felt like a person, but B like, I wanted to blot out the consciousness of my intolerable situation, which was just being, you know, a, a youth being me, you know, the intolerable situation was being me, right? I just wanted to blot that out as fast as possible, right? I don't, I don't, once I started drinking, right? And so what I did was I took the bottle into the bathroom, finished it off through an Academy Award-winning performance from behind the bathroom door. And arguably like that's my drinking, right? Um, you know, a month after I was drinking, I was drinking every day. Drugs are a part of my story. I never met a drug dealer that carded. I also really like drugs. Um, you know, I, and it was just like, once I started drinking, I was like, I didn't understand how you, how people weren't drunk all the time. Like it was, it was, incomprehensible to me. It was just so baffling to me because I was like, if you knew what this did, right. And, um, you know, I'm, and also like, man, I, I'm the one passed out at 9 PM. Right. Like it was not like, mm, 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 like it was not cool. It was not like, you know, it was, it was, it was very dirty. I'll get into it. Right. So, um, so, and thanks Jenny for like talking about, you know, for, for talking about alcoholism and, and navigating the phenomenon of craving, you know, it's like, what I was, what I was taught, right. Cause I, I can't, I got sober at 16. Right. So it was like, and if that made your mind snapshot, like a steel trap door, please identify with the feelings or, you know, 
Um, but really it was so important for me to understand exactly what alcoholism was, to have a sponsor take me through the big book and just like explain, this is what alcoholism is, right? And see if my drinking matched up to it, like Jenny talked about, right? Like seeing if, you know, did what happened match that? Not what I think an alcoholic is, not what I think an alcoholic should be, not what I think my story needs to be, right? Um, to be here as young as I was, right? All of that stuff. It was just like, does my drinking live? And here, and here, so here are the two things that I learned, right? One is I am powerless once I put alcohol into my system, which means I do not know when I'm going to stop. And there were, you know, there were a couple of times where I stopped, right? And I held on to those because I was like, what is, what is that? And when I was four years sober, I was in a big book study and, um, this woman who's not sober anymore, actually, uh, she, she talked about, uh, this line in the doctor's opinion that, that Ginny was referencing too, which is like, you know, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class alcoholics and never occurs in the average tempered drinker. And what she said was the opposite of never is not always, which actually grammatically is not true. But the point is like the operate that it's like, it's not never or always, right? It's like, if I have ever experienced the phenomenon of craving, welcome. It does not, it does not happen elsewhere, you know? And for me, it happened most of the time, but then the other thing, and honestly, like, this is so much of, this is a huge part of why we stay in Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Like, or at least I do, right? Is that I am powerless before I pick up a drink, that something happens to me mentally, right? So that's what happens to my body. And then mentally, what happens is even if I am walking somewhere, thinking about the fact that I'm not going to get wasted, right? No matter how bad it was, no matter what happened to me last night, last week, last month, no matter what I told my mom, no matter what I told my friends, no matter what I told myself that I in the moment may have believed, I will walk into a situation, right? And suddenly I will experience a strange mental blank spot. My thinking will go fuzzy. And then suddenly the next thing I know, I have alcohol in my system. And like, I experienced it over and over and over again, right? And um, truly, truly baffled. So my drinking kind of went like this, right? Uh, I was I was in trouble fast, right? I, I keep needing to sit up so that you're so that you guys know I'm I'm wearing a shirt, like I'm not speaking shirtless, um, you know. But I keep like leaning in um, <laughs> for this intimate chat. Um, but so <laughs> I'm wearing a shirt. Uh, I wear clothes today. It's very great. Uh, they they cover me, you know, whatever. Um, so. <laughs> So I, so I was in trouble. Right. And I just like, I had a really hard time just, just going to class. Right. And here's why. So I had this zero period math class at eight in the morning that I was like, I am going to, right. I was in so much trouble for not making it in, into the building. So I was like, I got to go to this math class. Right. I'm going to this math class. I'm, and I would be taking, I'd take the subway up to, to my high school in the Bronx. And I was like, I'm going to that math class, you know, and then I run into crackhead Zach. And then I'm going to first period. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to first period. I'm going to make that first period class, you know? And then suddenly I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to second period, right? Third period, right? And then the lunch period started. So then I was like, well, I have to greet the people. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, and uh, I never made in the building. I didn't really, I, I also thought, you know, I was like, peeing should be optional for girls. Like we should do it too. Like I found some sort of, tried to find some like feminist empowerment with like peeing outside, you know, which is, it's not legal. Right. Um, and, uh, and I was, so it was regularly, like, I was like in a trench coat, like holes at, you know, and I was just like exposing myself on fields, like peeing. And it was like 10 in the morning. Do you know what I mean? And, um, it was very glamorous, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, and maybe I made it in the, maybe I made it in at like, you know, two in the afternoon to like talk in an English class about a book I didn't read, like wasted in the back. Right. Um, 
and that and that's kind of it, right? I was in, I was regularly in situations like time and time again. I would be in situations that uh, I thought uh, someone like me maybe shouldn't be in, right? And um, you know, uh, thank you, Taylor. Uh, you know, um, the, the chat is like so distracting too. But I'm like, what? What's that? What's that? That that's not that's not actually an encouragement for you to because I will like, please don't, please don't, please help me. Um, <laughs> but so yeah, like I um. I could never make it home because I triggered the phenomenon of craving, right? Like never made it home for curfew. My, my relationship with my family was, was wrecked so fast, right? I would be in situations, you know, and sometimes it would be cool. And sometimes I would be like, wait, there was one, I would be like woken up and then br like brought outside. I didn't really know what was happening. Cause I was like half passed out. And then I was like, wait, is, is that guy, is that guy have a, like, is there, is there a gun happening, right? Like what, do you know what I mean? Like I would just be in situ, and half the time I just had no idea what was going on, you know? Um, but it was, I mean, like so much of my unmanageability was like, I didn't know how to be a person anymore, right? I mean, I barely knew how to be a person before I started drinking, but then it was like, you put alcohol in me and it's like, we're, we're done. And, um, you know, I remember I had this friend and she was like, Katya, just don't call me if you're drunk. And I was like, I'm never gonna call you then. Um, so I thought that was like, that she didn't really mean it. Turns out she for sure did. Um, so yeah, so it's just like things, you know, things continued that way. <laughs> um, I continued to like jeopardize my morals. I continued to just suddenly do unrecognizable things in the pursuit of drugs and alcohol. I continued to just, I mean, there was a part of me that was just whittled away so fast but it was like the reliefs felt worth it. And then the consequences started creeping up on me and I couldn't quite shit, I couldn't quite shake the shame, right? That 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 mark that I felt inside of me since I was a little kid, right? It wasn't quite going away. And um and when I was sober, I was like wanting to throw myself in front of the train, right? So what was happening was like when I wasn't drinking, it was like it was man, the the, the consciousness, I guess, of the reality everybody else was living in, right? And the pain that was being treated suddenly was just intolerable, right? But um, really what happened is like, you know, uh, I was, I was, do, I have some mental illness and that coupled with some of the drugs I was doing meant that I was in a very fraught uh, mental state. And I was quite crazy paranoid, actually into sobriety. Like I would be in conversations in early sobriety with people. And I like thought they were, I thought they could hear my thoughts. So then I would like think really explicit things and then like look at their face to see if it, you know, and it was just, I mean, I just couldn't have a conversation with you. Um, and so, you know, and so what, what happened, right. Is like, uh, oh yeah. So I left my bag open in my, in, there was like, I grew up in a two room apartment and in the other room, right. I, left my bag, there was like a pack of cigarettes or something in my bag. And uh, I I thought my parents knew everything when they found it. So they so I told them everything, um, which was both alarming and I think not given the fact that I like looked feral as Taylor pointed out, you know, um, you know, it was just like, I, it was it was a mess and I wasn't coming home and I, you know, smelled like all kinds of things. Um, but so they put me in this outpatient rehab, I transferred schools. And, um, and I was like, okay, like, I don't actually think drinking is really a problem. Right. But it's, I'm just, this is, I, I'm going to, I'm going to try stopping for a little bit. Right. Cause like what felt like my problem and honestly, like, this is not necessarily wrong. What felt like my problem was that 
those feelings of shame was the fact that like, I didn't feel like a person. I felt like an actor playing a person in my life at all times. You know, it was like, it was like all of these other feelings. It was the fact that like, I just was terrified, right? Like all the time. And it was like drinking fixed what felt like my problem. So I was like, that drinking is not my problem, right? All the other stuff, not my problem, you know? But then I was in this outpatient rehab and I was trying to stop and I couldn't, right? I just kept, like I explained earlier, I would be, I would leave this, like they would give me like stickers for every day that I was sober, but I was also like, I couldn't stay sober. So I was like messing with my urine test. It was like very, I feel like I was like in the, in the bathroom with like beakers. Do you know what I mean? Like it was just, it was a mess, you know? And, um, but I would leave and I would be like, I'm not getting messed up. I'm not getting messed up. And if you're new, like, this is why it was so important for me to like, stop hanging out with some of the people that I was hanging out. Right. I wasn't old enough to go to bars. I had a fake ID. So it was like, you know, I went to liquor stores. They served me, which was crazy um, because I really, I was a child, but um, you know, I wasn't like fooling anyone. Like I thought I was, I thought it was this like sophisticated, you know, girl whose clothing was held together with electrical tape, you know? Um, But so like, I am, you know, but it was, the problem was like, maybe one night I can stay sober. Right. There were nights where like, I didn't, I didn't, right. I didn't not, I, I, I was able to not pick up. But the problem was like, I didn't, there were also nights where I didn't have control and I don't know going in which one it's going to be, right? I don't know which one it's going to be. Even if I am certain before I go that I'm not going to get messed up, right? With certainty, that's the problem. Literature talks about it as like the inability to, 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 to uh, differentiate the true from the false, right? And ultimately I find that, that, that you know, because the thing with alcoholism for me is not like, I heard a speaker say this, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not denial, right? I feel like in treatment, we hear a lot about like denial, denial, and sure, you know, people are like, you're an alcoholic. And I'm like, no, I'm not, you know? Um, but the real problem for me is delusion, right? The, the, the definition of delusion is to believe a lie. And what I'm faced with, with this, with the first step, what I'm faced with actually more so than just what happens when I put alcohol in my system, but what happens when I stop, right? That inability to not pick up, right? Like that there is my, there is my entryway to a power greater than myself. There is my, like, I am always faced with my need for God. We're going to talk about it in a second, probably, uh, you know? And so, yeah. So, so what happened was they caught me and they were like, we're sending you to, we're sending you to rehab. And I was like, well, that's for people who really have a real, like an inpatient rehab. And I was like, that's for people who really have a problem. So that I broke down and talked about how suicidal I was. And here's the thing. I was suicidal, right? I did. I was, I had suicidal ideation. I thought about killing myself a lot of the time when I was not wasted. And, um, but even when I told the truth, it felt like a lie. Even when I told the truth back then I was conning somebody, right? It was like, even when I told you the truth, not from that place of open desperation, but I was just trying in the moment. Like, I still felt like I was pulling one over on you because there was a part of me that always was. And also I was so buried in all of my lies, which were so extensive that there was no way that I, I just didn't, even when I was telling the truth, it wasn't the truth, right? I'm pulling this up, all right. Um, So, you know, and so, so I did that. And so, so they sent me to this like treatment center that was part psych ward and part rehab. And, uh, and I got out and I knew I was going to, my parents, basically I was going to be either sent away for a long time or, um, you know, I was gonna be sent away for a long time or I could try Alcox Anonymous. And, uh, so I, I came to AA 
to figure out, I like, I was just going to hang out with you until I figured out what I was really going to do. Right. Like that was, that was why I came to it. Cause there was no way I was like, I was 15. I was like, there's no way, there's no way I have alcoholism. Right. There's, there's no way. But I walked in and like, I did hear the feelings. Do you know what I mean? I did. And I had also alienated a lot of the people in my life and your kindness and generosity. I was like, I could work with this. Right. I could, I could work with this. Also, I met some people who I thought were kind of cool, which was very surprising to me. Uh, you know, I, my first friend was this girl, Sadie. She was 19 at the time, which felt very old, but I was willing to roll with it. You know, um, she had a nose ring and she was kicked out of the state of Oregon. And she smoked Newports just like, like it was her job, you know? And she was like a mouthy, she was like a, she was a tiny mouthy girl, you know? And I, and she babysat me, man. Like if you're new, welcome, right? Welcome back, Laura. Welcome, Laura. Like it is, man, people gave me their phone numbers. And when I actually called them, which was so terrifying and awkward and weird. Also now, like, I mean, I didn't have a cell phone when I got sober, right? Like now it's like everybody just texts. It's like a whole texty, like it's very, I mean, at least we use the phone. I mean, I use the phone sometimes. I'm like, I'm like, we used the phone back then. I can't, I, I'm so sorry. Um, but so like, you know, and so, but I remember I would call people and I didn't know what to say. And what was, I'm so grateful for is that like they did. And they just asked me how I was doing, you know? And it was like, I felt the pressure. Like I had to know how things were going to go because otherwise it didn't feel safe. Right. I had, if I walked into an unknown situation without alcohol, right. It was like, my skin had been ripped off and that was just like picking up the phone, you know, but whatever. So this girl, Sadie and this, and this other, this other woman, like they, um, they just babysat me and they just took me to meetings, man. It was like, they were the, they were two, two woman babysitting project. And what's, I talk about Sadie. I think about Sadie a lot because like, I don't know if I'd be here if it wasn't for her. Uh, she was, she really saved me, right? She made, she made AA attractive. Um, and uh, just because she was like, she was cool and she told the truth most, I actually, I don't know how much she told the truth, which we found out later, but regardless, like Sadie saved my life, right? And Sadie's also, Sadie's dead, right? Like Sadie's dead. Uh, she had a baby, she killed herself, right? Like, and there are so many people that like, the things they said, the things they did, small moments of generosity, like I either wouldn't necessarily be here or maybe I would, but it was like, it's instrumental in the way that I got here, that I got here. Right. Or just, they have made a mark on me and like, I've gotten so much from them and they're gone. Right. So like be of service now. <laughs> um, so yeah, so whatever, but so I couldn't stop lying. So I made up a fake I made up a fake cocaine addiction that I didn't actually have at the time, you know, uh, I, at the time I didn't have, uh, and, uh, and I started stealing people in AA stories and then telling them in meetings. Right. Um, and I had a fake sobriety date that was like after my real one. Cause I had this very dramatic story that happened over Christmas, uh, and that didn't happen, but I like, so I, you know, I had a whole, I had a whole talk, right. I was just running. I was just running. I was just running stuff. Right. And, um, and the problem that I have found with, lying in sobriety is that I, it is very hard for me to stay sober. Um, so, you know, a couple months in, right. Like I think I just got 90 days, which in New York is like a, they make a big stink out of it, you know? And, um, it's just like a big mile. I mean, it's a big milestone no matter what, but it's like in New York, it's like very celebrated in meetings. And, um, and I remember I was like, I'm going to get wasted, right. I'm going to get wasted. 
And so, and I, I ran into this woman from, from AA on the bus in the East Village, which was very improbable. And she saw what was going on. And I was like, I'm going to drink. And then she was like, well, do you want to come to this meeting with me? You know? And I was like, okay, but then I want to drink. Right. <laughs> um, and then literally this woman like babysat me. She took me up. We were all the way down at the bottom of Manhattan. She took me to her apartment all the way at the top. She like brought me to another meeting. I don't know what this woman was going to do that day, you know, but, uh, she like brought me to this other meeting. It was the first time, like I knew somebody celebrating, you know, I think I, I, I definitely probably took the burning desire at the meeting Then I went out to fellowship. Right. I connected with other alcoholics. Right. And then, you know, I walk home and I had already had the thought. Right. And it hadn't been shaken. And so I walked into the liquor store and literally the second, oh yeah, I did have a cell phone. I did have, a, I didn't have a cell phone for periods. Okay. Because here's what happened. I stepped out of the liquor store and my cell phone rang. I don't remember the timeline of me and cell phones, everybody. I'm so sorry. But my cell phone rang and it was the first time somebody in AA was asking me for help. And I stayed on the phone with this woman for 45 minutes, holding a bottle of Jack Daniels sitting on my steps. And I didn't tell her that I was holding the bottle of Jack Daniels. And, um, and I, uh, you know, I got off the phone, I drank it. And then I drunk dialed people in AA. Uh, many of them are still sober and still remember, <sighs> you know, and it's like, I don't know what, what would have lodged that idea out of, out of my head. And then I found like, I came back in, you know, but then like two days later, you know, I was drunk again. Right. That's the problem with like, I don't know what I can afford to do. I don't know what I can afford in terms of relapses. Right. I set all of these conditions. I set all of these tones and this can happen with behavior and sobriety, but it's especially true with drinking. You know, it's like, I think I know. And what, when I am honest about my alcoholism, I am continually humbled by the fact that like, I do not. I do not, I do not have control over my actions at certain points, right? I do not, um, I do not have access to dignity in any meaningful way. Uh, the best I can get is I feel like I'm playing dress up with, with a little bit of dignity and with a little bit of integrity because a girl like me, it did not seem possible. In fact, it felt completely out of, out of line. And so whatever. So like I came back in, you know, and then I came back in with a sobriety date that I have, uh, well, actually it was like last week, I think I like came back in finally from these like relapses, you know, but the problem is I wasn't being honest with my psychiatrist, right? A big book talks about, see them pro psychiatrist actually in the family afterward. Right. But it's like, be honest with yours. Right. And so I wasn't. And then I had a uh, manic disassociative episode in September of 2003. And I remember walking to my dresser. I don't remember anything. I remember opening my medicine cabinet. And I don't remember anything. When I woke up in the morning, a lot of my medication was gone. It was an empty bottle of Robitussin in my trash bin. And when I said 16 year old me was relapse is a conscious choice. And I didn't choose to pick up. It was not a relapse. It was a moment of mental illness. Now today, my sobriety, I define it by the amount of time I have not had a self-prescribed mind or mood altering medication in my system. And that happened because here's the great thing about honesty. It like, if, if I have a lie that's eaten at me, right. Or if, I mean, I believed it when I said that, right. Like, and I didn't have a true definition of alcoholism. I didn't know. Right. I was just trying to hold on. Right. And I was so afraid that if I like told the truth, you know, that, that it would all go away. And, um, and also I didn't want my best friend to have more time than me. <laughs> and also like a bunch of other stuff. Right. Like, and also, you know, I just, I was, a, I was in a fog. And so, and I remember I told, I, I then started working with the sponsor who sponsored me for almost 16 years. And, um, and I told her about it 
And she was like, well, that's a, that's a, that sounds like a relapse, you know? And I was like, it was not a relapse. And she was like, okay, that also, I'm just going to say that sounded like a relapse. And I remember she talked to her sponsor about it. She didn't tell me this till later, but, and, um, and what her sponsor said was, she was like, I can't get this girl to tell the truth. Right. And, and what her sponsor said was just engage her in the process of the steps. And she did. And what happened with that was I was sitting in a meeting 18 months later and the truth was just there. And I, it was, I mean, it was undeniable and it was loud and inside me. And it felt like I was going to drink if I didn't change my sobriety date, you know? Um, and I'm so grateful that like, I have been schooled by my lies time and time and time again. You know, I get schooled by my delusion, my, by my alcoholism, by like the perception that I walk in time and time and time again. Um, you know, and at this point, right, I had like six service commitments a meet a week. I was about to meet when I met this sponsor, right? It was like, I took the burning desire at every single meeting I went to because people stopped calling on me. When I started talking in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, people would go out for a cigarette. Like, you know, it was like, it was, it was not great. It was not a great look, you know? And I met this woman and she was like very blonde and um, very excited. And she also got sober at 16, which I didn't really understand was like a big, why that was such a big deal. For, and she was like, she was so excited. And she told me I could call her anytime. So I called her at two in the morning. She picked up the phone. And so she started sponsoring me and we went through the big book. And what happened was uh, I barely, I mean, I, I could barely like focus. I could barely read. I thought suddenly like I got sober and I was stupid, right? So it was like, I wasn't even processing a lot of what was happening when I when we were reading the big book, but I did the best I could. And when it said to do a thing, I did it. And I wrote an inventory. I took way too long. I almost drank because I was at like, I mean, there was all these times in early sobriety where like I almost drank, right? Because it was just like, I was sitting on a lie. I was actively engaging in a behavior that like I literally did not think I could articulate. Um, and so, and honestly, the reason I'm still here is because like time and time again, when that stuff happened, when stuff that was like, I was like, I can't do that. I can't say that. I can't whatever, right? it felt physically impossible for me to do. I could not imagine a world. When the line was drawn in the sand, suddenly, you know, I had the willingness to do it and I'm still here. Like, and you didn't have to bury me. I think that's what happened, but who knows, right? I don't know how grace works. I don't believe in a God that like saves, like saves some of us and not others. Like it, that, I, I can't, but you know, but also that like really, that belief really serves other people, right? So it's like, who cares, man, you know? Um, it's whatever, it's whatever we hold on to that what's whatever works. And so, and so, you know, I did a fist step and, um, oh, I'm going to back up. So, the, so like the way I started praying was I started talking to my ceiling and I just remember sitting there and being like, I feel like an idiot right now, but it is really horrible to be me. Uh, and that was how I started praying. And, um, man, guys, consistent action over time continues to be the thing that, that produces the most remarkable results in my life and thinking. And I had a spiritual awakening of the educational variety. I walked my way. I did that fourth and fifth step. I thought the words were going to turn to ash in my mouth when I, when I took, when I took that fifth step and actually instead I said the words and I'm still here, you know, and then we did six and seven, you know, and I got to, and I got to nine, eight and nine and there were amends. And I was like, you know, I was living with my parents at the time. I was, you know, still, I was still in high school and, and, and I was like, if I tell them the truth about some of this, they're going to throw me out of the house. And what my sponsor told me was like, she pointed to the section of the big book where it says, we have to be willing to go to jail, you know? And she was like, so maybe you have to be willing to, you know, we were sitting there and we were sitting in a Juan Valdez on 657th street in Manhattan. And, uh, 
and and we were both sobbing. We were both crying. And she was like, this is the beginning of your spiritual experience. You know, I'm so grateful to have a sponsor who cared. Right. And we ended up having like a wild relationship over the time, but it was just like, man, like that, that woman taught me so much about love, you know, and, um, and so much about service just because she was, she was there and she cared and she knew my family, you know, um, which has become complicated, but that's okay. Um, and then I did it. I said the thing, you know, and one of the things that the amends really taught me through all of them, through the ones that like went super well and the ones that, well, do you know what I mean? Where like, I, I liked what happened. <laughs> um, you know, they all went well, cause I'm sober, right? Like, <laughs> um, is that I learned that my freedom does not come from your approval. What mattered was the attempt. What mattered was that my behavior was changing. What mattered was that I looked the people that I did not think I could look in the eye. I looked them in the eye. And, um, and there were times where it was like, it was not, you know, I made a, I flew to Paris and made amends with my brother and we have a interesting relationship, you know? And, um, man, like I, I, I started, I was like, I was ready to go. And I was like two sentences in. And then he was like, why are you doing this? Please stop. You know, <laughs> I was like, well, this is not the heartfelt, you know, moment that I, wanted, you know, and there were other times where it was like, people didn't want to see me or people didn't want, you know, or just didn't, it went, it felt messy when I made the amends. Right. Like I didn't, I mean, I had some huggy moments, but I had a lot of like, whatever, or I had a lot of like, I, it's really fine. Like you didn't, it, uh, or I had a lot of things that just didn't go my, the way that I wanted them to. And I still got free. And it was one of the most important lessons that I continue to experience. Right. Like so today, because I am such a dependent personality, right? Like one of my character defects is mind reading. Like I think about what you're thinking about me, right? Garden variety, self-centered fear, do you know? But I really get in there, right? And, um, and, uh, and it's just like, that's not, you don't have the key to my freedom. The only way you do is, is if I am thinking of your well-being, if I am thinking of how I can be of service, but how you feel about me, I, I still get under the delusion that somehow, right, that's going to be the thing. Um, because I, I didn't know how to deal with people for so long, right? We would first, we would go out to like fellowship. And I remember we'd be at like diners and stuff and people would be having conversations. I would respond to what somebody said five minutes after they said it, right? They would stand in circles sometimes and I would stand on the outside of circle and just try to like interject things. Be I just, I did not know how to talk to people, right? Um, but so what ended up happening was I changed slowly over time. Um, and the next thing I knew I was able to graduate high school and, uh, and I was able to go to college and I was able to move out of my parents' house and I was able to like, you know, start to participate. Um, I learned how to use it. We had like a seventies can opener on the wall that was, so I learned how to use a can opener in Alcoholics Anonymous. I learned, I voted for the first time. Anytime I voted sober, you know? Otherwise it would have been fraud. Um, you know, like I, I've paid taxes. I've learned about citizenship. Do you know what I mean? I've like, I learned how to drive a car. This guy, this guy, this poor guy in North Carolina, I would drive his Volvo out around cul-de-sacs as he would just go, you know, um, and this poor man was just trying to be of service, teaching me how to drive. And it was way more than he signed up for. But simultaneously, like you guys got, you guys helped me get a driver's license, right? Every skill that I have, how to have a conversation, how to be kind, how to, 
how to order coffee without having a panic attack, right? Like I have gotten from you. I have no skills without, without this. And, and what I found was, you know, as a part of my spiritual awakening, and it's funny because like, I have had white light spiritual experiences that mean I should never doubt the existence of God. And I do, I have had, I have had experiences where everything goes white and nothing exists and I don't exist. You know what I mean? Like, and I still can doubt the existence of God like that because I want something, you know, and that's where, you know, having a regular inventory practice, I cannot speak highly enough for, right. Having a regular inventory practice of what is like, what is going on? Because my relationship to a power greater than myself continues to be one of immediate need. AA has never told me this is what God is, right? AA has never been, this is what God is. The only time God's will is ever really referenced as like, this is God's will, you know, it is that we're sure is a line that's we're sure God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free, you know, but it's like, in terms of what God is like, and what I found actually is that the conception didn't matter. You know, the conception is nice. It's something I can hold on to. And, and that like, I faith has, you know, faith implies knowledge it implies experience. And so I've gotten faith as the result of just trying things, but that's, what's so hard about when you're new, it's like, you're in so much pain, man. But it's also like, I don't have any faith that anything's going to work for me. In fact, like I have, all I have is experiences that I am different, you know, or that I just don't finish stuff. Right. Um, and, but I kept finding that I finished. And then I found a thing that I loved, you know, I started working with new people and, um, and I realized that one through 11 for me is just the prep work for 12. And that the, and, and it's really, it's, it's the 12 step in two ways. Right. One is like being able to, you know, I actually like have something to offer, right. And learning how to like integrate and care about women on a regular basis. And also that like your recovery is not actually about me. I'm just, I'm just there to show up and be like, I did this. You know what I mean? Oh, I thought that, you know, in this situation, maybe, you know, maybe. And I learned that actually the situation was this whole thing. It's totally different, you know? So it might be helpful to cut that person some slack, you know, or whatever it is, right. That it was just like, but ultimately, you know, I, I just, I learned that it wasn't about me, but I also learned that like, it, I, it was my job to, to be in the flow, to be, you know, Jeannie and I were talking about this last week, like in a work situation, you know, of just like, maybe I'm the one that day that's caught the thing. Maybe I'm the one that's like paid attention, you know? And so I treat every moment, or at least I try to, I fail at it every day, but it's just like that idea of like, we're in the world to play the role God assigns, you know? And um, it's like, okay, I'm here, right? I'm here. I'm in this moment. Have I caught the thing? And I learned that like, what, what I got from you is, you know, as this selfishness and self-centeredness was suddenly like, as just really, it's like this gunk, right? I get it. it's like selfishness, self-centeredness. It's the root of our troubles, you know, but it's also like, I mean, I also had to look at the big book where it was just like me thinking about myself, <laughs> this preoccupation with myself doesn't work. Me trying to fix my own life. I can't think my way into a new life. I can't think my way into a spiritual life, right? I can't, I, I can't think my way out of fear. I have tried, you guys. I have tried. I've been like, how do I treat this moment with, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I was five years sober. I was call I called this woman in North Carolina. I moved to North Carolina for college and finished college there and and I called this woman and I was like, Linda, you know, I am, I am, I'm a producer of, of confusion right now. I like, it was one of those days where you just like felt anxiety, you know, just like reverberating throughout my pores. Right. And I was like, I'm a producer of confusion. I need to produce harmony. I'm a producer of confusion. I need to produce harmony. And she was like, Katya, 
you don't produce harmony. Harmony gets produced through you, right? Like that's God's job, you know? Um, and if you're new and the word God really freaks you out, it still kind of freaks me out too. <laughs> and I use it interchangeably, you know? And it's like, it's all good. The point is just that like, I can't think my way into a different solution that, that can I just in this moment? And this is hard for me at 17 years sober, right? When I want a thing, can I put down the idea of like, this is my plan. This is how I'm going to fix it. This is, you know, this is how I'm going to get the thing that I want. Right. It's like, usually I know if it's, if it's not totally aligned, at least in the moment. Right. It's like, if I need, if there's that urgency, that actually means that I need to pause, you know, but what I've gotten from you is in this transformation, right. The channel of peace has come out of me. Right. I have developed an, I have developed a relationship with an unsuspected inner resource that has revolutionized the way that I see the world who I get to be in the world. I thought I was going to be dead before 18, but also there's been so much more than that, right? I got to, I learned that there is a thing I love to do that lights me up the way working with a new person does, right? And I got to learn how to treat my work as love and service. And I got to walk into rooms and I learned this in college first, right? And then I, and then I got to bring it into my career of just like, can I, can I treat this work? Can I treat, even if I really and want something. Can I treat it as love and service? You know? Um, and, and really, I think like what I'll, what I'll finish with is like, or wrap up with is, you know, I can't speak highly enough about meditation. The way I started, you know, my friend Jackie's on here and the way she started, I remember she started meditating. I share her experience all the time, which is just like 10 breaths, 10 breaths. For me, it was a minute before I left the house. Now we don't leave the house that much. I guess you guys do in Orange County. You guys are leaving the house. Um, but um, no, it's great. I left the, I've been leaving the house too. It's, I'm like, oh my God, what is this? Um, you know, but it's like a minute, right? Consistent action over time as opposed to like going away for a week. But there's also real benefit in that. This year has been the hardest year of my life. Um, trauma from my childhood that I thought I had 10 step my way out of, right? Uh, came up and uh, I was faced with in a way that brought me to my knees in a way that nothing has. I was faced with pain that I had never experienced. I had faced with fear. I faced with a sense of impending doom that completely leveled me. And that I thought, you know what? I thought I had outgrown. <laughs> and, um, and man, I have had such a revolutionary experience. The things that hurt always allow for like the greatest amount of joy, right? Like the thing, like what, what it gave me, what it's continually, cause I'm not done with this process, but my God, it's like, everything has changed. Is that like the fear and the pain that I thought like I was incapable of looking at, right? Like that had leveled me to my core, right? Actually is my biggest access point to God, right? Like all of this is just me focusing, like where is my need for a power greater than myself in this moment? Which for me is where is my need for help in this moment? That's it. It's not, that's why you don't have to tell me what God is. That's why it doesn't matter because it's just like where, what's the access point right here and now, right? We heard it and how it works. Like may you find God now, right? It's in the moment we're in, you know? And, and what I am really living, and I, I don't remember if it was actually Jackie who said that. I'm trying to remember which friend who said it, but it, it hit me this week again. Like any voice in my head that is not kind and loving is not the voice of my higher power. And I would add to that idea is then unreliable, right? Like 
the point of this is love and service. The point of it is joy. And actually like the way I get there is through the things that like, when I was new, it was like, it was through, it was through the lies. I didn't think I could, I could, I could get honest about. It's been through the things that have like deeply leveled me. It's been through the things where I'm just like, I can't like the greatest miracles have happened from that. Right. And so really it's just like in the moment I'm in, where do I need help? And also where can I give help? Because ultimately it's like, the key is the key for all of this is just like, I get clear, I get free. I get, you know, I get transformed so that I can be in the world with you. The biggest revelation of my spiritual experience is that you exist, which should not be that shocking, but it is. And then I got to care, which took a long time. And I was like, I maybe fear, fear. I'm a sociopath. Do you know what I mean? Like fear, like, but the point is just that like, I've continued to show up profoundly imperfectly. And what I continue to find is that the miracle time and time again is in the attempt, not in the execution. It is just like, what can I do in this moment, in the moment that I'm in to seek you, to be of service, to look under the hood, you know, even if like the boogeyman seems impossible. Um, so, so fun. So fun to speak at a Zoom meeting. Thanks, thanks to my pal Pej, and uh, thanks everybody. <laughs>